About, about a thousand years before Jesus Christ came into this world and was born, there was a king of Israel, a greatest king of Israel named David, who was inspired to, by the Holy Spirit to write these words in Psalm 2. This is from Psalm chapter 2. David writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, or another word in he- the word in Hebrew there would be Mashiach, or the word in Greek, if you were to translate it into Greek, would be Christ. Against, so against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth as your possession. And then, about 500 years later, after David, the prophet Daniel was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. This comes from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, He says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And then, over 500 years after that, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, he referred to himself as the Son of Man, was born. And he lived a perfect life, fulfilling God's law perfectly. And after that, he healed and fed many people. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He even raised the dead. And then he was delivered over by the Jewish rulers who hated him to the Romans who crucified him. And on the cross, he bled and died for the sins of his people. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And then after he rose from the dead, he appeared to many of his disciples. He appeared not only to the 11 disciples, 11 minus Judas, who had betrayed him and later committed suicide, uh, but, but also to many others as well. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we read Matthew's account of one of these encounters of Jesus with his disciples after his resurrection. So I'm going to read it. Read it to, if you want to read together with me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. My sermon this, this morning really only has one point, and I'm just going to state it now. Because Jesus Christ is God, everyone in the world should know and worship him. Because Jesus Christ is king, everyone in the world should serve him. Because Jesus Christ is the only truly good shepherd and teacher, everyone in the world should follow him. And our job as his church, is to go and make that happen. To uh, pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming, even just coming to earth, coming and, and becoming um, a human being. The, your word says, uh, Paul wrote in Philippians, that even though you were God, you did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but you, you emptied yourself, you, you took on the very nature of a servant, and you're made in human likeness. That in and of itself is mind-blowing, um, but even more mind-blowing is the fact that you uh, purchased our salvation by your perfect life and death on the cross in our place, and then that you rose from the dead, and, uh, and now through us, this, uh, people, people can be reconciled to you just like we were by faith, by faith in you. Not in ourselves, not in any good works, not in any church or anything like that um, or organization or uh, belonging to any certain man-made thing, but um, through faith in you. By trusting in you, everyone who, who repents and trusts in you receives forgiveness of sins. And so we thank you for that good news. Pray that you would help us proclaim it faithfully, Lord, as you've commissioned us to do, to make disciples. Pray that you would help us this morning as we study your word to, um, to know how to do that better and to, uh, and to do it faithfully as you have charged us, not just your disciples, but uh, in your, when you were here, Lord, but uh, we as your disciples also today. Help us, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to um, take this verse by verse here. Uh, so now the 11 disciples, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So see that this is something that Jesus had told them about before, to go into Galilee, and then that, that there they would see him. And then uh, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Verse 17, when they saw him, they, they worshipped him. Worship is what happens when a person realizes who Jesus really is. Um, ironically, in the New Testament, we see uh, strangers and even demon-possessed people worship Jesus before his disciples do. Um, this is what the Magi came when he was born, when he, after he, shortly after he was born, he was still a very young child. And, uh, and then Matthew 2.11 says, They fell down to the ground and worshipped him. 
They worshiped him because they realized who he really is, God in human flesh. And in Matthew 8, we see another occasion of this. This is what the leper did. He worshiped Jesus. He came to Jesus for cleansing, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then uh, we also see it with the, uh, the, Ger- the demoniac, the demon-possessed man in the land of the Gerasenes. In uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 6, uh, Mark writes, Seeing Jesus from a distance, he, he ran up and bowed down before him. It's the same word there for worship. It means to prostrate yourself. It's the, the, the word in the Greek. Um, so he, he comes and he bows down before him. But we don't see Jesus' disciples worshiping him, at least we're not told of it, until, at least in Matthew's account, until about Matthew 14, after Jesus walks on the water. Uh, he walks on water, and he calms the storm, and then Matthew 14:33 says, those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. And now, after he has been raised from the dead, the disciples again remember who Jesus really is, and respond with, with worship by bowing down before him. And then, but then that's last, those last two words, let's talk about those for a minute, or three words, but some doubted. They worshipped him, but some doubted. This is one of the most amazing things about the gospel writers' accounts, and what makes them so believable and compelling. I mean, why would Matthew write this? <laughs> um, if unless it was just true, unless it was just a factual account of what happened. I mean, if you were writing a story with the purpose of getting someone to believe in Jesus, which is what the gospel writer's purpose is, um, I mean, John states it explicitly, that his purpose is that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. If that's your purpose, then why would you write this, that some of his disciples doubt it? Why would you write that some of his own disciples doubted him even after seeing Jesus risen from the dead? And so this phrase speaks to the honesty and integrity of the gospel accounts. It's what makes um, the gospel accounts so persuasive and believable, embarrassing details, <laughs> right? That's what, what makes them so, uh, so compelling. The gospel writers simply record what happened, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, from you know Peter's denial to um, James and John's desire to call down fire from heaven to burn up some Samaritans uh, that they didn't like. It's all there. Uh, the gospel accounts paint a real picture of a real Jesus and, and a real picture of fallen, sinful human beings trying to follow him. And, so, and this also speaks uh, about, honestly, about... Um, human weakness and skepticism. This is a, our fallen condition. This is a human condition. We doubt. Um, we waver. Uh, sometimes even in the face of overwhelming evidence or after we're confronted with, with something, we... And you think about the disciples, what they had just witnessed. I mean, they had to be wondering, is this really real? Is this, is this really happening right now? I mean, what they're seeing is impossible. People don't come back from the dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so if you've ever doubted what God has said or what God has revealed to you, you're in good company because Jesus' own disciples did the same thing. And one of the wonderful things 
about Jesus is that while he never commends doubting, he often yeah, actually rebukes it. He rebukes people having very little faith, but at the same time, he's also still very patient with them. And, uh, and he, he draws near to them, and we see, so that's what Jesus does here. Um, so they, when, when his disciples saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, and then Jesus comes near to them. He, he came to them. So, um, so despite the fact that they were doubting, he doesn't just leave them or rebuke them. He comes near to them so that they might see and believe. And Christ comes near to us today as well in his word so that we might see and believe. Not see him physically, but see him with the eyes of faith. See him in his word, in these accounts. of this is, These are real historical events. This is what actually happened, and it changed the world. And it's continuing to change the world, and it, and it will continue to transform the world. And, uh, and so let's go to verse 18. Verse 18 is the part that always gets left out of the plaques and bumper stickers. Did you ever notice that? I mean, if you were to go out here, uh, it's left out. At, we have a plaque right outside here. When you sign up, when you guys go to sign up for small groups, and please be sure that you do. Uh, after, after a service, you'll see a plaque, that, and it, the plaque starts with, go, there, go and make disciples, right? Verse 18 is the part that always gets left out, and yet, this is the very foundation of the Great Commission. Isn't that, you know, I, I just find that amazing. Um, it's, it's the very foundation of the, of the Great Commission. When you see a, a church sign, it usually starts with, just go make disciples, but that's not where Jesus starts. We read where Jesus starts. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So just let that sink in for a minute. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? All authority in heaven, what does that mean? Well, so Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is in charge of the angels, and they worship him. He commands all the hosts of heaven. He holds the keys to death and hell, the Bible says. And the Bible says that he is the judge of every soul who ever lived, that he is the savior of every, uh, soul, of every one of his people, and he determines where people spend eternity. He's going to judge them on the last day. Uh, he saves the souls of those who trust in him and will not lose a single one of them. He builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through faith or trust in him. Jesus has all authority in heaven. But Jesus also has all authority on earth. Revelation 1.5 says Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings. He's the ruler of kings on earth. He is in charge of presidents, governors, mayors, congressmen, police officers, school board members, principals, county commissioners, judges, district attorneys. All of them will answer to Jesus Christ for how well or how poorly they did their jobs. Every authority on earth is a delegated authority. That's what scripture teaches. 
It's authority that's either rightly exercised or abused under the supreme authority of Jesus Christ. The Christians say we believe this, but I think, um, I don't know, maybe we need to believe it better. We, sometimes we don't act like we believe it. I'll tell you somebody who really believe it, believed it, John the Baptist. John the Baptist really believed it. Um, and so that's why he marches up to Herod and says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So John the Baptist spoke truth to powerful people. And if Christians really believe, that, believe this, then we would be saying the same kinds of things. We would um, saying to the Virginia Beach City, City Council, for example, it's a great evil that you have allowed a Planned Parenthood to slaughter uh, hundreds or thousands of, of uh, preborn children in our city, and you have a duty before God to stop it immediately. We would say things like that. Uh, we would say to judges and legislators, if you want to know how to do your job well, you need to study the Bible. You need to st- study the, the, you know, maybe the book of Deuteronomy, learn how to judge what is fair and just and righteous law by what God says is fair and just and righteous law. Why? Because Jesus Christ has all authority on earth. Not just, it's not just a spiritual thing. It's not, it's not just Jesus has authority over spiritual matters. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Every one of us is going to answer to him. Every legislator is going to answer to him for the laws that they write and they, they pass down and how they govern. He is the judge of whether the laws that you write and, and enact are good laws or bad laws. Jesus decides, listen, Jesus decides, not the voters. Not the voters. The voters don't determine what's good and what's evil. Jesus Christ has said in his law and in his gospel what is good and what is evil, and you don't get to change it to suit society's appetites. So in other words, you don't govern to get reelected. You govern to do what's right in the sight of God, not in the sight of men. Whether you're a father, whether you're um, a teacher, whether you're, it doesn't matter. Everyone has some position of authority in, in, some, in some sense. And all of that authority is delegated authority. So, you know, for parents, our, our kids are not our kids. They're God's kids that he has entrusted to us as stewards to raise them in his way, not, not just how we, would like to, how we would like best or what's most comfortable for us or what's easiest for us. So verse 18 is the foundation for the church's mission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And so then the church's mission is to make disciples or obedient learners or imitators or followers of Jesus Christ. But how does that mission make us any different from other religions? Say, you know, Muslims or or Buddhists. Uh, so again, this is going back to the connection. What I, my point is the connection between verse 18 and verse 19. Therefore, go. Go therefore and make disciples. When we want to make disciples of people, why should they listen to us? A way to put it, why should a, a 10-year-old Muslim boy listen to you or me and what we have to tell them about God rather than their parents? And what they, because, you know, he has Muslim parents. Why should he listen to us rather than his Muslim parents? Because Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so when we bring God's word to people, we're not bringing them our opinion 
Um, we're not bringing them good news about our collective human wisdom. We're not, you know, talking about just our traditions or our opinions. We're telling people this is how it is. This is this is the truth. This is God's truth. This is God's word. Because Jesus Christ is God, everyone in the world should worship him. Because Jesus Christ is king, everyone in the world should serve him. Because Jesus Christ is the only good, truly good shepherd and teacher, everyone in the world should follow him. Our job is to go and make that happen. So then, verse 19, Therefore, go therefore, you know, English classes, those of you who taught your kids, homeschoolers, right? When you uh, see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. So you got to get, yeah. Um, so it's because of that first claim that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I would like to first make mention of that we see the Trinity here, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we see the, the Trinity as plainly here as in any other place in Scripture, and this is why we believe that God is triune, that he exists eternally as three persons, because he says so. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any other place that, that puts it more specifically and succinctly than here. Um, that he exists as three persons. In some other places in Scripture, God has revealed himself as, as one, such as one God, such as in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then in other places in Scripture, such as the very first chapter of Genesis, uh, God reveals himself as a plurality. God says, let us make man in our image. Right? Who's the us? Who is our? Uh, God is not talking to angels, he's talking to himself. And we see uh, Christ only in shadows and types in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, Jesus comes and says, on the one hand, the Father is greater than I, and yet on the other hand, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And so we, we see clearly here that the disciples, disciples of Jesus are to be baptized into one name and yet three. At the same time, baptized in the name of God, the triune God, and yet in the three names, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that is the nature of God. He is one God and yet three persons, who exist eternally in three persons. So the command is to go and make disciples of all nations. The most literal way to translate that, go and make disciples, is a bit like shorter in the original language. It would be more like going, as, or as you are going, disciple, uh, and then the nations. Um, or another word for nations there might be people groups or cultures, or probably the best way the Jesus' disciples would have understood it, the Gentiles. That's probably how they would most likely have understood it. Go disciple the Gentiles. Um, which is a bit shocking when you realize that the time and place these words were spoken in, because up until this point, the word of God and uh, the salvation of God was largely confined to the people of Israel. And so this is, this is a, a huge turning point. Um, because, even, I mean, even Jesus himself, when he was uh, teaching and preaching, at, at, at one point said, I was sent only to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
But now, Jesus commands his followers to take his story and his teachings to all people, uh, to all the nations, to all the different people groups, all the different languages, to the entire world. And he tells them, go and make disciples. So, I want to talk about that, the word disciple a little bit. Because there's a big difference between a disciple of Jesus and a lot of people who might just claim to be Christians or think of themselves as Christians. The mission Jesus gave to his, his disciples and his church is to make more disciples. So he didn't give us a mission to just go out and make friends. He didn't commission us to just fill pews uh, or you know, do community service projects. The mission is to go and make disciples, to make followers. And then, how do we do that? And it says right here, by um, sharing the good news with them, when they come to believe, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then um, teaching them to obey what Christ has taught us. Uh, so, the, the, another, the commission is to make devoted followers of Jesus, not just nominal fans of Jesus. Um, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, if you wanted to become a Marine, you would go to Paris Island, and seven days a week, you would train, right? Or if you wanted to become a stonemason, you would probably apprentice under a, an, a, you know, a veteran stonemason probably five days a week, right? Um, and yet, so, so it's training every day, and yet for some reason... Uh, many of us as modern Christians in our time and place, it's, we, we think of discipleship as attending a service once a week, right? And so I think there's a big difference there. A disciple is someone who follows Christ every day, who's in his word every day, who's um, in community with other people and, um, and seeking to follow Jesus and obey his commands every single day and wherever they are not just so it's more than just coming to a worship service it's a lot more it's a lot more than that it involves uh paul says you know i die daily uh, right it's it's an every single day thing every time you wake up from when you get up to when you go to bed you're in training you're you're in in discipleship right um so what is a disciple of Jesus? How are they recognized? What are they like? Well, Jesus tells us about this in the, the beginning of the best sermon ever preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He begins that sermon with these characteristics of godly people who follow him, and he says they are blessed. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. So, um, you know, how do you know if you're a disciple or not? Well, you, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have, to, you have to give up on yourself. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to realize that you have nothing to offer God, um, nothing in yourself to make you acceptable in his sight. Um, you have to come to him and, and believe and come to fully rely on his mercy and lay hold of his mercy by faith, and then the kingdom of heaven will be yours. Um, you have to be a mourner. He said, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You have to mourn over your sin. You have to see your sin for what it really is and, uh, and not just not justify it, not pacify it. Um, a disciple of Jesus is meek. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Um, they don't, they're, they're learning 
they're learning not to think or talk about themselves so much, which is the thing that people like to do most a lot of times, right? We like to, like to think and talk about ourselves a lot. But they're learning to do that less and less. They live to worship God and serve others, not themselves, and they're learning how to do that better and better. Um, a disciple of Jesus, what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So a disciple of Jesus longs, in, longs for righteousness, not entertainment, not food, not thrills, not money, not power. Righteousness. A disciple of Jesus' all-consuming desire is to be more like his master, his or her master or teacher. Uh, he said, blessed are the merciful. A disciple of Jesus is merciful. Um, you know, they, uh, they don't keep grudges. They delight in showing mercy to others because they understand the mercy they've received from their father. Um, and yet, Jesus said, they'll be hated. They'll be, they'll be persecuted. Even though they would love to be everyone's friend, a disciple of Jesus uh, will have enemies. Um, Jesus said, blessed are, blessed are you when the, the people um, insult you and persecute you. And, and then he says in John 15, he says to his disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Um, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Um, so, so how do we make disciples? Because we, sometimes we can think that we're fully, fully obeying God when we're not. Um, if you don't know what the target is, then how are you going to know if you hit it? Right? The mission, the, the commission that he's given us is to, to make disciples. And so the question is, how are we doing with that? Uh, are we doing that? For those of us who are parents, are we discipling our children? Are we, um, or if, you're, if your kids are grown or if you don't have any kids, are you pursuing spiritual mentoring relationships? That's really what discipleship is. It's a, a relationship with spiritual mentoring, teaching, training. Um, it's doing deliberate spiritual good to another person in order to help them follow Jesus better. And if we're not doing those things, then we're not really obeying this this commission, this command that Jesus gave us. And there are um, all kinds of creative ways to do this, especially with the technology we have today. Um, one of the brothers at this church and I uh, text, just simply text each other a scripture verse every day. Keeps me accountable. I'll get a text from him and I'll be like, <sighs> you know, um, yeah, I got, oh, where's my Bible? <laughs> I forgot to read today. And then, so, you know, it keeps me accountable to be in God's word every day. It could be something as simple as that. Um, if you find yourself watching too much TV, maybe find another person at this church, ask them to help you, to keep you accountable. Uh, exchange a, a bad habit for a good habit, right? Pick a time to fast and pray once a week. Maybe at a time when you might normally otherwise be watching TV or, or, you know, doing something that may be a little too much or overindulging in something, right? Um, or another might be serving or showing hospitality. Uh, find a friend who will partner with you in, in visiting a nursing home once a week or a, a boys and girls club. 
If you have an extra room in your house, look into foster care or housing a foreign exchange student. Um, and you might just meet some people at one of those places who have no idea what, who Jesus is. And you could be the first person to tell them about him. And so the mission of the church is to evangelize and teach both uh, in the church and outside of the church, right? And to bring them to maturity in Christ by teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, which we'll get into in verse 20. Um, so again, how do, how do we make disciples? How did the disciples do it? I was looking through the books of, book of Acts, and, um, and somewhere around 40 days after this command was given to the disciples, the, Peter preaches a sermon in Jerusalem, and in the power, power of the Holy Spirit, about 3,000 people were converted and baptized in one day. Right? And so we first, when we look at how did the disciples disciple, how did they go and disciple all the nations, how did they do that, um, we see, first we see public proclamation. Public proclamation of the gospel um, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which I would say is very much lacking in our day, in our time and place. I was, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but like I was talking to Penny about this. Um, because Chris and I are street preachers, you know, and I'm not saying that every pastor has to be a street preacher, but um, I would, I, I wonder sometimes if, uh, you know, if, if we were to say, okay, you know, if you're going to preach in the pulpit inside the four walls of a church, you need to be willing to preach on the sidewalk. What would happen? You know, um, I, I just, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder but the thing is, is it's a public, it's not just a private thing, right? It's a, it's a public ministry. It's to go out and evangelize people, to make disciples of lost people, to go out where they are. But so in other words, we don't limit it to where we are, only inviting them to come to us. We do invite them to come to us, but we also go to where they are. I'm not saying that we should have a certain number of sidewalk speeches that a, ha- a pastor has to give before they're considered qualified to preach inside a church. But the point is, is that being a pastor um, cannot, should not, must not be limited to saying things to an audience you know already agrees with you. Okay? A, a, a pastor is either a prophet or he's nothing. And I, I think it's, it's a shame that many of our most highly trained theologians will never ever preach to a large lost crowd or a lost crowd in public simply because they're not willing to or it's not the way they've been brought up or even worse for some pastors, uh, they don't, you really get down to it, they might not admit this, just say it out loud, but they don't actually believe in preaching. They don't believe that preaching the gospel like the Bible says, will actually save people, will actually convert people. They, they only think they have to you know, meet people's felt needs, have you know, uh, bouncy castles and be inviting and, and all of that, instead of just going and, and, and sharing the gospel with people. So making disciples is a mission that's both public and private. We see Paul talk about this in Acts 20, when he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it happens in public and it happens in private. Discipleship does. Making disciples does. Um, 
In Acts 2.42, we read what the believers were doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. So discipleship happens in churches, but it also happens in houses. It happens in coffee shops. It happens in prisons. It happens in workplaces. All, all kinds of places that discipleship can and should be uh, taking place. Um, and we have to be devoted to this. So Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so I just want to go through as, um, I know I'm probably running out of time here, but as we uh, start to wrap up, what did Jesus command us, right? He says, teach them, in verse 20, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we know these things, but it's good to be reminded What did Jesus command his disciples? In the broadest and simplest terms, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But here are some, you know, specific teachings. Again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Seek reconciliation and, and, and to live at peace with everyone. Are we devoted to living that way? Don't even look at someone with lust. Fight against every impure thought. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. It'd be, it'd be better if you never got to see another computer screen for the rest of your life than to sin in that way even one more time. That's what Jesus means when he says if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and cast it from you. Don't repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. Be kind to everyone. Be generous with everyone. Love your enemies. It's hard stuff. (laughs) Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Rejoice and be glad even when people persecute you. Give, pray, and fast. All in secret. All in in secret, not so people will see. Don't worry. (laughs) Or be anxious about your life. Instead, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be consumed. A disciple of Jesus should be consumed with seeing and building and bringing the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want to see more people following you, Jesus. I want to see my kids following you, Jesus. I want to see my coworkers following you, Jesus. I want to see my students following you, Jesus. Um, you know... So, are we devoted to living that way? This is just a sample, but uh, there are many other teachings that gave us Jesus, gave us Jesus, Jesus gave his disciples and to us. And there are many more, not just about how we should live, but about who he is, uh, what we should believe about him, how we should worship him. Um, I remember reading a book. When I was preparing this sermon, it took me back to a book that I read. I think it was by K.P. Yohannan. Um, who was a founder of a ministry called Gospel for Asia. And in the book, I remember him talking about a practice that I think we've kind of lost or forgotten about or uh, maybe misunderstood the nature of, um, a, a practice that's done in other churches in other countries like India, that when I read about it at first, years ago, the concept was kind of, it was just completely foreign to me. He, he used this phrase, he talked about discipling unto conversion. It's like, 
what do you mean disciple? You got it backwards, man. Like, you have to get them saved <laughs> first, and then you disciple them, right? But the, the whole, his, what he was saying was, you just bring God's word to people, and you teach them wh- what it says, and, and that, that, it, that it should be obeyed, and who Jesus is, and the, the story of the gospel. You disciple them, because conversion is not my work. The conversion is God's work. So I can't, I can't make converts. I can't make converts. Only, only God can convert anyone. Only God can save someone. Um, but what he was talking about was just, just teaching people the Bible. It, families and churches, you know, if they grabbed hold of this concept, I wonder if we might see better and more lasting spiritual fruit. Because I think we kind of see, see it more car- compartmentalized than it is. We see, like, I think if we're honest, we, maybe churches over the last however many years, you know, decades, have seen, like, part one, the primary, most critical, most important part is evangelism. And then discipleship is, like, the part two, kind of more secondary, more, you know, le- uh, more optional part of becoming a Christian. But I don't think Jesus or the disciples saw it that way. Um, I, I think, you know, they... They were concerned not only about seeing people, seeing people saved, but seeing people sanctified. And we like to kind of pull them apart, but Scripture always seems to keep them together. Um, in, in Hebrews twelve fourteen, it says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Jesus said in Luke fourteen thirty three, Those of you who, who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. There's a, um, a Christian parenting podcast uh, calls uh, raising cross-form kids that Jerry turned me on to, and uh, the one of the themes that they keep repeating on the show is raising Christian kids is always a miracle, but it's never an accident. And I think that's just a fantastic way to put it. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Like like making disciples is always a miracle. Someone becoming a disciple it's all it's always a miracle, but it's never an accident. Um, so I can't save anyone, but I can bring the word of God to anyone and everyone I can, right? Um, I can bring the word of God to my kids, but I can also bring the word of God to the soccer or wrestling team I'm coaching. I can give them the law and the gospel over and over again, leave the results up to God. I can bring the, the word of God to the aging and the lonely in a nursing home. I can uh, find someone at church I would like to learn from uh, more uh, about spiritual things and about the scripture and, um, and ask them to meet with me. I can meet with someone else. It's all about teaching people to obey the things that he's commanded us. And, of course, you know, we can't do this on our own, uh, only on our own. Um, but I think the, my point is to kind of reimagine how we think about this Bringing the word of God to anyone and everyone we can. What about the the clerk at the checkout line? You know, I don't. I, I might never see a person again. Just at a checkout line, I could give them a gospel track, and now they they have the word of God. Whereas I don't know if maybe they never even opened opened a Bible before. Um, so the point is, I'm going to bring God's word to anyone and everyone I can. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. And everyone in the world should know him and worship him. Because Jesus Christ is king, everyone in the world should serve him 
And because Jesus Christ is the only truly good shepherd and teacher, everyone in the world should follow him. And it's our job to go and make that happen. And then the last phrase, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so just like Jesus, he gives us this perfect, profound, incredible wisdom from the moment he opens his mouth to the very moment he closes it. And if we think about the beginning of what he said, all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. And then he tells us at the end, I am with you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so I think this is the most, one of the most incredible things about our Savior, God, and King. He is with us. He's not under us. He doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. But yet, he cares for us. And he'll never leave us. He does for us and through us what we cannot do for ourselves or we cannot do for others. He does through us. He gives us strength when we need it, relief when we need it, deliverance. But not, often not in the way that we would want or expect. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is for us, right? But he doesn't, we can't manipulate him. He doesn't change his word or his character or his plan to suit our desires. But he is for us becoming like him, living as his his sons and daughters in his kingdom. He cannot be manipulated, but there's also nothing, nothing that can separate us from his love. And so that's where the hope for the world lies. That's exactly what Paul says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in and through his church is the hope of the world. How can 12 ordinary men turn the world upside down? But they did. Because it wasn't them, it was God working through them. So the disciples realized who Jesus is, they worshipped him, and then they went out and made other more disciples, and that's the commission that's given to us. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. The world needs to know that. The world around us needs to be told that, and the world around us needs to be shown that. So who's going to, who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them? Well, we are the people that God has chosen to do this. And then uh, those who have seen and heard after they've been drawn by the Father, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the job of the church is not to just leave them at that point, but to continue to teach them, continue to gather, not just once a week, but um, you know, with each other in our, in our homes and with others, and continue to... It's, it's, you know, theologians call it the, the ordinary means of grace, right? That God uses his people to edify one another and to teach, teach one another how to follow Jesus better. And we have this promise that we are never doing this alone. He is with us. He is for us. He will provide for us what we need to get this mission, to accomplish this mission that he's given us. And he will continue to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Because Jesus Christ is king, everyone in the world should know and worship him. Because, because he is God, rather. Because he is king, everyone should serve him. Everyone should follow him. And our, our job is to go and make that happen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we've had together. And I just pray that you would make your word um, effective 
in us and through us. Not just for us, but for those around us everywhere who don't know you. Um, people at our workplaces, people at schools, uh, people at supermarkets in the checkout line, um, people at all other places that we go, Lord, as we are going, give us the grace to make more disciples, to bring uh, your word to them anywhere and everywhere we can, um, to not be afraid, Lord, of speaking your truth wherever we are. Forgive us for uh, being compartmentalized Christians, Lord, for regulating um, our uh, talking of you to just within the four walls of buildings like this and not living as your disciples, as if you have all authority in heaven on earth at all places, at all times, everywhere. Uh, forgive us and help us, Lord, to live that way, that others might see that, that we are your people um, and that, uh, that they might be drawn to want to know you. And give us the words to say, I pray, to our kids, again, to our neighbors, coworkers, um, and to each other, Help us, Lord, because without you we can do nothing. Um, please give us the grace to become better disciples. For it's in your name I pray.